I tend to be a little bit of a low talker. Yeah, I can't park my car, get my bags, and put on some weight, will you? Hey, Wang, what's with the pictures? It's a parking lot. Come on, will you? I think this place is restricted, Wang, so don't tell me you're Jewish. Okay, fine. Hey, kid, I'm Al Chervik. I'm playing with Drew Scott today. This is my guest, Mr. Wang. No offense. Oh, I can give me have a half of those, those Vulcan D10s and set my friend up here with the whole schmear. You know, clubs, bags, shoes, gloves, shirt, pants. Hey, orange balls, I'll have a box of those. Give me a box of those naked lady tees and give me two of those. Give me six of those. Oh, this is the worst looking hat I ever saw. Well, you buy a hat like this, I'll bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? Oh, it looks good on you, though. Everybody, the Nightfly with Dave Jones. Welcome to the podcast on a lovely day in July 2018. And what a special show it is for you today. I am not alone. I am not in my bedroom doing a sad podcast of any kind. I have an amazing guest today, which uh, I have been talking about for many weeks. I mean, this is a really, really special guest. And it's very exciting. Please welcome to the show. Violet Ramis, and then your last name, which I, you know, nobody cares about. Is it Steel? Steel. Steel. Oh, but it's just spelled funny. (laughs) What kind of name is that? You don't have to tell me if you don't want to. Jewish. Jewish? Yeah. Don't say that. People don't like that kind of stuff. Um, Is that why it's spelled differently? Because if it was D-E-S-T-E-E-L, it wouldn't be Jewy. It might be German. We don't like that. I don't know. No. Yeah, it's funny, you know... um, yeah, you are? Uh, well, anyway, yeah, this is uh, uh, Harold Ramis' story. You know, it's funny. Before I read the book, which and, and she's written, she's here, she's written a new book called Ghostbusters Daughter. She is Harold Ramis' daughter. And sometimes, you know, it's like you have somebody on, you're like, well, you know, I don't, I'm just not only Harold Ramis' daughter and my own person. <laughs> but thank God, as I was reading, you had a very loving relationship with your father. Uh-huh. So it's okay to talk about him. <laughs> yes. But you are his daughter, which is amazing and you are here and thank you so much for coming i mean you know it's hard to have people to say you know like we have a mutual friend alina uh, weissman and um she's lovely and amazing (laughs) and um it's hard to come over somebody's house where they you know or go by studio the compound Uh um but that you don't know (laughs) you know and they're like oh he does it out of his house Uh, he's okay i texted my husband your address Oh, it's probably a good idea. <laughs> oh, you're married? I'm married. Damn. Uh, no, I guess I knew that. Um, this is your second marriage, right? First marriage, actually. Oh, it's your first? Oh, oh, the other one was just a baby daddy? Or yes. A, yeah. I mean, I read the whole Not book. Just. I just, um, yeah, sorry. How long did that last? Seven and a half years. That's a long time. It is. But then you finally got married, married. You made it all official. I did. To the steel up. fella. Yes. What's his first name? Leon. Oh. Was that in the book? <laughs> I remember a whole bunch of other guys' names. That, it out. Wasn't there? Oh, because you made up names. Well, not Leon though. Probably it was Diego. Yes. But that was a made-up name. It was. But I bet you his name was very similar to Diego. <laughs> <laughs> Paco. Was it uh, something like that? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> That's the best. Is making up names where you know where it's so clear. Like 
I've been in people's books, and instead of David Juska, they call me Lavid Puskow or something. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, I've been not in books. People write scripts about me. All the, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it happens a lot. And apparently, I'm I'm quite fascinating for that. some reason. I can't see it at all. Well, the book, they're always horrible, and they make horrible depictions <laughs> out of me. Uh, this one old girlfriend um, wrote a play about me. I've talked about it in the podcast a lot, and <laughs> like the guy who was playing me was just a flaming homosexual, <laughs> like going around like, "Hey, everybody, I'm Dave Jessica," and I'm like, "This is horrible," <laughs> but it's quite true depiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess people could take my enthusiasm for. <laughs> flamingly gay. Uh, anyway, we're off to a good start. I, I, I'll let you talk sooner or later. Um, but <laughs> I like to listen. Yeah, you don't care, right? This is beautiful. This is the exact <laughs> the way I want it, which is great. No, it's funny. Um, so when Alina told me that, you know, about you and that you're writing a book and everything, I said, oh, are you talking about the girl that was born without a tongue? I knew <laughs> right away. I knew right away exactly who you were because of that. I'm and credited. you're Uncredited? Yeah. Why? I don't know. So your dad did hate you. <laughs> so he was very resentful. I'm not putting my daughter in stuff. Didn't want to I'm not going to be like those other people. Is that what it came down to? <laughs> we did find out he was Jewish. That was um, surprising too. I wasn't sure. I mean, sir, I know. I, I know he looks... But I don't... You know, nobody... Back then, I got to say, only until about maybe 10 or 15 years ago did I feel comfortable talking about being Jewish. Interesting. Um... You know, I'm a, a, a comedian. I'm using the air quotes. <laughs> uh, but all my friends are comedians. I used to be a comedian uh, you know, full-time. And I always say that John Stewart was the last person to change his name for Holocaust purposes because uh, <laughs> uh, it's John Lieberman. Really? Um, and he changed it. And Sarah Silverman was the first person not to change it. And I feel, and that started about 1990, 1991, where people besides Jeff Lipschultz, who <laughs> became Jeffrey Ross, Lipschitz, I think is his name, we have to change it. Um, you know, then there's that Jonathan Silverman, you know, the right. actor and stuff. And I think people didn't mind keeping their Jewy names, you know, unless they're Lipschitz. <laughs> um, because it was a thing. You know, it's like you, you were hiding it. Right. And uh, I even know, like, Howard Stern would be on the air and always say he was half which i would do too which half um i I don't know but he would say you know and and he's come out now and you know we know he's full jew (laughs) but you're um, out of the closet also yeah you become out of the closet and it's it's but you know it's just i got my nose done because (laughs) i was getting on stage and people meanwhile that doesn't help i just act so jewy everybody (laughs) knows immediately but uh i don't know anyway uh (laughs) but it's good to know there's a... Fa- and you went to the Yeshiva Academy too, right? I did, for graduate school. Yeah, you remind me a lot of Sarah Silverman's sister, Susie Silverman. Uh, do you know about her? Is she the one that shit in her pants? <laughs> did she? In college. No, no, that's her <laughs> stepsister, Jody. Oh, okay. No, that's a classic yeah. one. Oh my God, that's like my favorite story. She told me that she was going to do it. She's like, should I do this on stage? I'm like, if you don't do it on stage, I'm going to do it and just so say it's great. mine. Yeah, her stepsister shit her pants in college and was so drunk... Her pant, her pants started falling down. Her panties, I guess, started falling down, and she thought she was being raped while she was throwing up. And it turned out she just was making so much duty. <laughs> I'm glad you like her too, because um, otherwise, you know, we can't be friends. But um, her sister's a rabbi mm. and lives in Israel now, and went to yeshiva. And a lot of the stuff you said in the book, 
your political views and stuff like that kind of reminded me very much of her. Yeah, except the know. Israel part, maybe. Oh, you don't care for Israel? Oh, <laughs> well, you're like a Natalie no, Portman just, character. Yes, exactly. Oh, my. Oh, that's not going to be um, good for anybody. No, I. it's all complicated, obviously. I guess so. See, for me, it's not, but right. I understand the well, other side. That must be nice. Actually, I don't, but... Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about that. So you that do for take Natalie Portman's <laughs> side, though, in not going to Israel and supporting the Israelis. You 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 think they're doing bad things to the Palestinians. I do. That's interesting. I, I'm always conflicted by that kind of um, you know talk. You, you're just keeping <laughs> silent because you don't want to get into it. But I don't know. I mean, I'm always open for either side. This is the thing. On you know, I have varying political views, but I am always up to listen to somebody's reason of why I am not. We talked about this even last week. I was talking about the Sarah Huckabee uh, thing in the rest. Now, I'm mm-hmm. sure you were very pleased that that happened. Or, no? I mean, I don't. You're anti Trump, though. I am anti Trump. Right. Yes. Uh, Alina told me. You know, but, um, <laughs> so I just think that was. But I had a lot of friends that were like, yeah, good, good. I'm glad they did that to her. And, and I say, you know, she's just doing a job. Why are you taking it out on her? So was Eichmann. Oh, see, here we go. This is. Uh, <laughs> Um, I guess. I mean, yeah, I don't. You know, I guess we can look at it. Be able to have a meal a nice in a nice place in front of her children. She wasn't with her children. I thought she was with her family. She was with somebody's family. It wasn't hers. Is this something that we don't know? Do you know some inside information? No, are you getting uncomfortable? Or are you getting comfortable? <laughs> there were no children. Oh. As far as I know, and also, yeah, it's like the least important story that's happening in my well, opinion no you're absolutely right but i'm just saying uh if you talk to people about a, a death machine <laughs> <laughs> wow and you know see but i would listen to your story <laughs> and i would listen to you tell me why you think this is the case but a lot of people just don't listen they just don't listen they don't want to hear it or anything and that's um that's that's a problem i can be swayed it is a problem however i don't often venture outside of my bubble, <laughs> I will say. Yeah. Um, I don't have really any um, people on the right who are my friends. I know Alina um, probably is the most conservative person. And she's not, too, she's not that conservative, yeah. Well, she's probably like me in the sense that we, you know, we don't, we don't, hate, we don't hate the president. My aff- I didn't mention his name. I'm just talking. My to best friend said it's we can agree we can agree to disagree, yeah. um, as long as your opinion does not invalidate my humanity. <laughs> yeah, but basically what they're doing is uh, it's from the line from The Godfather where uh, Salazar says and uh, he says does, he doesn't want to take his deal and he just goes and as long as your business doesn't conflict with my business it will be okay. I mean that's like a ridiculous thing to say, you know. I mean because it's going to conflict, right? You know, and it's uh, and that's why the Godfather got killed. Right. He wasn't paying attention to the uh, to what was happening. Well, um, one can only. Now speaking hope. of the Godfather, <laughs> when your father played Mo Green. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you this. First of all, first of all, we we'll go back. Um, let's talk about the interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, all of this is actually kind of interesting. <laughs> you think it's interesting, don't no, you? That's fine. I just. You want to? You don't want to talk. I prefer about to talk about my dad. Yeah. Well, so do I. <laughs> but uh, sometimes we got to get into it. You know. Okay. Um, Here's the funny thing is I absolutely remember this interview. Rural areas, 
A lot of rural yeah. uh, areas, yeah. Also, I want to mention real quick, Carol, your uh, little girl is in this movie, isn't she? Yes, yes. She plays... It's an awful thing you've done to her. You've cast her as a just a terrible uh, circumstance for a young girl. Is she all, all right after that? Oh, yeah. She, next, she said she'd like a part with, with dialogue, though. Uh, <laughs> Mary, do you want to tell them what it is, or should we Oh, uh, there's a poor farm family. Uh, the, co <laughs> the cousins that they visit... His own uh, daughter. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Uh, well, Chevy meets the cousins, and uh, their cousin is played by Randy Quaid, who's quite a good actor, and uh, as he introduces the kids, uh, my daughter is, is playing Randy's daughter, Daisy Mabel, and uh, Chevy says, well, how are, you, how are you, little girl? And she doesn't speak, and Randy says, uh, she was born without a tongue. Clark. There you go, born without a tongue. So the audience like reaction, they're like devastated. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll be right back, folks. I remember watching that live. I remember watching it live, which is why when Alina said that she knew you, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, because then I remember seeing the movie and watching for you. <laughs> I was like, oh, I want to see who his daughter is. It's a great part. It's, <laughs> but I mean, you're in vacation. And the best part is that when I saw your book and the photos, I didn't realize you were that little annoying kid in Caddyshack. <laughs> Which I thought was a boy all these years, and your mother is standing right next to you. Yeah. Folks, when Danny Noonan goes to the boat or the yacht club, when he thinks, you know, he says, how'd you like to come down and mow my lawn? And after that, uh, and he goes, and there's this little bratty kid in a sailor hat who's just looking at him funny, and he's looking, and it's a, it's a classic scene. It's, it's Violet. It's, it's me. You were in Caddyshack. <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable. These are... You know, for a guy like me, I mean, who your dad meant so much to me because for so many reasons. Now, I I became a huge SCTV fan, a huge SCTV fan. That was where you know, I realized I wanted to go into comedy. There wasn't stand-up comics; it was SCTV and all those people. And I never never understood why your dad left. You know, I just did, I was too young and I didn't understand why he never appeared again. But the funny thing is. He had this character called Mo Green mm -hmm. on SCTV. And um, I don't know if you follow hockey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. But um, they have a new team called the Vegas Knights, and they almost won the whole Stanley Cup. Uh, they went to the finals. They lost to the Washington Capitals just uh, two months ago, maybe a month ago. Hmm. And they're an expansion team. They're a brand new team. So in Vegas, a lot of people bet as a joke – that this brand new team would win it all. And it was like 500 to one. So a lot of people put a lot of money on it as a joke. And they were going to win a lot of money and cripple a lot of the casinos <laughs> in Vegas. And they were completely panicked. What's going to happen if they win? And they, I mean, they made, they made it to the finals, but they didn't win it all. And it was close. And the first thing I thought of was your dad <laughs> in this sketch called Dialing for Dollars. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you know his, like that I word? Do. I mean, remember that? <laughs> I know it, asking you is ridiculous, but I, was, I mean, <laughs> you're younger than me, so by a lot. Um, and I had the sketch because uh, he. <laughs> <was> <laughs> Okay, our first call this afternoon is going to Mrs. Nancy Diptrick in Mellonville. Uh, she doesn't seem to be home. Yeah, so he's playing a host of Dying for Dollars mm -hmm. where he gives away his own money as this character, Mo Green. Right. And he's so panicked that he doesn't want to give away his money, which is like $2,400. Yeah. 
he calls people up and then he just instantly hangs up after one ring and he's just wiping his forehead <laughs> and then it's it's really great you may have been our lucky winner well that's too bad i don't think we have time for another call what we do have time for another call okay i'll be calling now mr francis letton in centerville sure hope he's home i don't think he's home he's not answering his phone well that's too bad mr letton because you might have been our big winner if any of your friends hi mo the best is that's John Candy. <laughs> He's so funny. Hi, Mo. <laughs> and then the best is I, I remember this growing up. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I that's how I found it on YouTube. But I remember the scene so clearly growing up, which is why I put it together with this Vegas Nights thing. And then um, he calls and he gets a kid. Oh, I didn't think you were. Well, tell your daddy that he could have told me the name of today's movie. Changing partners. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> well, Ask me the question. You've seen the show before, huh? Okay. Well, uh, okay, are you there by yourself? Yeah. Uh, is anyone there to help you with the question? No. Good. Okay, listen. In 1833, Edgar Allan Poe wrote the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym in which the fictitious adventurer Pym and his companion Peters met some black islanders who were exiles from what fictitious interplanetary state? I'm sorry, that was Zimnosia. Your dad was so smart, and obviously he wrote that kind of stuff. That's <laughs> kind of comedy I could never do. I actually always thought he had something to do with National Lampoon, but he, I mean, he did in the sense of writing Animals, but he didn't have anything to do with the magazine, right? Not with the magazine, but he was on the Radio Hour show yeah. for some time with John Belushi and Joe Flaherty, Gilda. W one thing about Mo Green, I will say, is eventually his show gets canceled, and they sort of dismantle the set right in the middle of his show and he's you know flipping out and sort of desperately trying to cling on to his set pieces and i cried when i saw <laughs> it as a kid because it just seemed so How did you, sad that they would do that to if my dad you, like was he showing you the old sctvs or did you find them or we because they didn't really hundreds of cassette tapes my mom oh, recorded did. things off the television ballets operas old movies and all the sctv episodes your mom was a ballet dancer right she was a dancer not a ballet just dancer she did ballet she did traditional chinese dance oh. she did everything <laughs> traditional Flamenco. chinese dance yeah i don't even know what that is <laughs> well sounds delicious you're though. in new york <laughs> <laughs> um you're still in touch with your mom though yeah, right we're very mean, close you're close mm -hmm. but it was your stepmom are you still close with her or you, you weren't really close with her at all we i mean were. in the book i mean we had sort of an up and down relationship we always were close and i think that's why it was yeah i mean hard. you say uh you know, your dad was, I mean, he, she was the production assistant on, was it Caddyshack or? Club Paradise. Oh, Club Paradise. Mm -hmm. My least favorite because I didn't like Robin Williams. Mm. I never liked Robin Williams. It just was not, uh, you know. But meanwhile, you know, he's got every other person, Martin Short and Eugene Levy in it. So yeah. I don't know why. I got to give that movie another chance. I think you should. Yeah. Revisit. Um, but, yeah, so she's the production assistant and basically uh, almost like a babysitter, but a friendly yeah. babysitter. And then all of a sudden she becomes your mom. That's got to be a very tough transition. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was an adjustment for everyone. And I think when your parents decide to make a big life change, you know, as an eight-year-old, it's going <laughs> to take some time. Um, but we always went to therapy and talked Are about you really? everything. You had to go to therapy all the time? Oh, yes. Mm. Lots of therapy. 
That stinks. <laughs> Which is why maybe he lashed out a little bit. As you put in your book. I did. I mean, of, uh, yeah. Whatever. Action, <laughs> reaction. And I think every teenager, you know, needs to rebel against something. Or maybe not everyone, but I certainly did. And so. Well, it's funny. You know, I mean, and you don't mind talking about anything that's in your book, no, right? I mean, not at all. it's funny, like your dad was technically in an open marriage. I mean, not technically, it was. Yeah, he and my mom were not sort of traditional. I mean, they married young when they were, I think, 22 and 23, or 21 and 22. And, um, you know, I mean, who knows what they want. Well, your father was, I mean, technically he was like a nerd, you know, I mean, and yet he was way cool for a nerd because he he smoked pot and hung out and did acid and but he was obviously an intellect um it's just funny you don't you see him or i used to picture him as more as come on guys let's get to work uh and everybody else is slacking off the people we know who had uh, drug issues or whatever he was obviously a functioning he was functioning yeah obviously and just ridiculously bright and filled with ideas and smartness as a matter of fact i i know they think they said uh they bought him, was it they bought him on for Ghostbusters? Yeah, well, the original script was written by Dan Aykroyd for he and John Belushi. Um, right. And it was like an intergalactic, interplanetary, you know, it was chaos. <laughs> and they bought in your father to structure. To sort of Because this in. is what yeah. he was good at, yes. which was, yeah, it's, I know that, I understand that completely. I have a friend and we write together and, you know, I can write the dialogue. But without him, mm. nobody says it's written well. And I don't even know what it is he does. <laughs> but clearly your dad used to do that and, and knew how to structure and format, you know, scripts and then clearly had a vision for, you know, directing them, uh, which I mean, I don't even know where to begin because I can get into so much of, uh, you know, of, of what I want to talk about. And I don't even I know you don't want to talk for four hours and then I, I do. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, but just about the what I want to talk about the open marriage is that it's you know, again there's your father, which you wouldn't think a guy like that, you know, or whatever our vision was of him mm-hmm. being the head writer of some, you know, his SCTV and stuff like that, and um, and being so uh, driven to write and produce stuff um, to have an open marriage, even you know, to be that guy, right? Um, but it turns out that open marriage presented problems because your mother would have boys over that were strangers and that was later that was later that was after they'd separated um yeah my mom's boyfriend um molested me yeah um but that had nothing to do with the open marriage (laughs) well you don't Um, think so because they were just so free-spirited they bring over anybody and no they weren't i mean they were unconventional but not free-spirited i would say the same way that you talk about you know thinking of my dad as the one who provided the structure i mean he did that well with clearly. my mom too and um you know it worked for them for 18 years i mean right, how long are you supposed other, to be married and they were still yeah. friends and i mean i think it uh, really expanded my view of what a successful relationship is and i think it can take many forms over time yeah that's uh Probably true. I think more people are realizing that now that, you know, maybe <laughs> I think Mary Hemingway says it in Manhattan. 
She's like, maybe people aren't meant to have long relationships. Maybe they're meant to have a series of long relationships or something yeah. like that. And I he's mean, like, what do you know? You're 17. <laughs> but your dad, you know, and this is back then when people didn't know what to do when somebody said they'd been molested by, a, you know, not a stranger. Mm-hmm. And your dad apparently handled it very well, you know, said it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be okay, which he also did with your... Uh, I, I, this is all in the book, the pregnancy and yes, stuff. Yes, when I was and he 16. apparently handled all this I very mean, well. Yeah, he didn't um, have a squeaky clean life either. And so I think he wanted to be there for me. And not that he was necessarily, you know, condoning things that I was oh, doing sure. or, you know, I mean. But that's a tough thing for, I, I actually know other people that had been through that mm-hmm. and their parents you know, did not handle it the right way because nobody knew. Right. Nobody knew. Now I think nowadays, you, you know, unfortunately, if it does and it does happen, we know a little bit more. Yeah. And also, I mean, what's the right way? I mean, he did his best. And in that case, it was great. And well, I think the right way know. is to just say it's not your fault. Yeah, I mean, I think that's those words. Believe, believe the victim. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that right. It's, I, th- I think that's the key. Um, but it's funny when you talk about the day... Um, it's okay to mention that, right? Because it's Anything. all in the book, right? <laughs> well, I don't want I want people to buy the book, but um, it, it's uh, and it's called Ghostbusters Daughter, and it is out now. Um, when you had the day you had the uh, abortion, I don't know why I'm afraid mm-hmm. to say this. I abortion. Like, sometimes abortion. I use the N word. Nobody. Like, <laughs> um, Do not use. No, I'm not going to use. But I'm saying I'm like I feel like I easier than that than to say the abortion, which doesn't make any sense. That's a problem. It is a problem. It's a my problem. It's a Dave Jessica problem. Um, he, the way you describe it in the book is ironically the exact same way Amy Heckerling depicts it in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, except with her brother taking mm-hmm. her out of the clinic and they go to get ice cream or something. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like it's kind of funny because your lives do coincide, even though because your dad had an affair with Amy Heckerling, yes, which she is also actually one of my heroes. She's awesome. Uh, yeah, and you have a sister. And she has great taste. <laughs> <laughs> And you have a sister from that, I and do. I never would have thought because you say in the beginning, you know, I I got a problem with this. Who's this? Who's this? <laughs> I, I, who's this guy? You know, what is it? What's going on here? And then, and you guys are friends to this day. We are. I just was with her this afternoon. Yeah, you said you might have had her come on. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, anybody who listens to my podcast knows I've been trying to get her mom on this show. I mean, as much as I would want your father on this show, but that you know, unfortunately, can't happen. But. um yeah, I mean, Amy Heckerling, as we were talking about outside when I saw you outside, just w- stalking my neighborhood, um, is, you know, a, a, a genius in her own way, being a, especially being a woman. And I always say directing a classic comedy, a boy, a, a woman directing a movie in general in 1980 is also unheard of. Mm-hmm. But then directing a classic comedy is even more unbelievable. And uh, that I'm fascinated by her and... Uh, it's pretty cool that you know her and stuff. She yeah. seems like a, it seems like they would get along really <laughs> well. That made a lot of sense. Were they were they were they together for a little bit or just um, I don't was know, it a one time thing? Timeline. It wasn't a one time thing, but um, I think. Do you think he helped her on a couple of her projects and maybe vice versa at all? Um, I I think they had planned to work together and then maybe there was a writer's strike. Oh, that writer's strike is the worst. It always ruins everything. (laughs) 
Oh, because that would have been some collaboration, I'll tell you. But then she directed European Vacation. She sort of took Oh, over my God, franchise. that's right. I did not care for that movie. <laughs> and oh, my God, now it's all coming together. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, we love that kind of stuff on the show. We make connections <laughs> like that all the time. That is so interesting. Yeah, wow. How about that, huh? You know, but it's when they talk about, you know, in the Oscars, when they talk about female directors and stuff, they never mention her. You know, and they and they talk about like, oh, we got to get more female directors. We got. I'm like, why don't you talk about the one that kind of started it all? And quite frankly, the one that actually started it all was Joan Rivers, mm-hmm. who directed Rabbit Tests in like '78 or something with Billy Crystal as the lead. And it wasn't a very good movie, never but my it. God, here's a woman. No, nobody saw it, unfortunately, because that uh, maybe that's the problem. But still, a, a, a woman directing. I think a woman also directed Valley Girl. Uh, I totally remember that's Nicolas Cage, and I don't know whether a woman <coughs> directed that or not, but, so. you know, I don't know who that is, but that's, again, that was probably 82 Maybe. or yeah. three, so that's pretty impressive, but I don't think she did anything after that, whereas, you know, Amy did, and... Amy did, sorry, but and it still is. <coughs> but also, yeah, uh, but also for your, for your dad, uh, first, I mean... <laughs> I mean, this guy. I mean, for you know, I know they GQ credited with being the father of modern comedy, but I, <laughs> I said that way before GQ. <laughs> it was so obvious to me. I mean, he. There's not. I work at a law firm. There's not one man in that office that doesn't know every line from Caddyshack or Animal House. Yes, dudes love my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. And it's funny because again, your dad seemed like kind of a nerd, but he's not. But that, that's the depiction in a way. And yet he wrote some of the greatest lines that all dudes say <laughs> in their everyday life. There is not one day that doesn't go by where I go into my CFO's office and, go, and I go, I just talked to the guys at the Jewish fraternity and they just told us all our answers were wrong. <laughs> I mean, there's so, I mean, there's countless, but I mean, that's just like one off the top of my head, let alone Caddyshack, which is like sick, ridiculous. <laughs> and... Um, I just, I can't believe, uh, you know, it's just, I, I, I can't believe you're, I'm sorry, I, I'm getting all, he really was kind of a hero. In fact, I'll just, I'll just tell you, I mean, this is me dressed like your dad oh my playing God. Uh, Russell Ziski in uh, Stripes. Yeah. Oh, what? I was in a college TV show. Wow. Right? Oh, I actually have the clip. Uh, this is me doing the scene. I tried to do his voice. <laughs> I got it down pretty good. We'll all settle down for a minute. My name is Russell Zitsky. Welcome yes. to Basic Humor. It's okay, right? It's such. Z-I-S-K-Y. There's no T in that. Uh, I must say, this is my first time teaching, so you'll all bear with me for a while. Anyway. Comedy. <laughs> well, we were trying to teach about comedy. Whatever it was, some stupid sketch. And this was me dressed up as him in Ghostbusters. Fantastic. <laughs> I was... Truly obsessed. You are a Jew. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, um, and everyone says that as soon as they meet me. Um, do you know I was going to get that swab for the uh, 23andMe test, but um, I sent them a picture and they sent it back and they're like, "You're Jewish. Don't worry about it. You save your money." But um, yeah, I was obsessed. I, I used to do his imitation on stage. I used to do now. Here's um, uh, I've always considered myself kind of a pacifist. My father always said never strike anyone in anger unless you're absolutely sure you can get away with it. I mean, I was. I mean, he was just the greatest. I mean, just uh, from his voice, and God, you know. But again, I guess being Jewish, I guess I, or the way he looked when I wasn't sure if he was Jewish. Like I said, nobody. He wasn't out and talking about it uh, at that time because he just didn't. Um, 
you know, there was a guy I could, you know, resonate with, you know, <laughs> a guy with the same hair, you know, and, 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 you know, I don't know, he was terrific and just, he was just, you know, so smart. And uh, yes. I couldn't believe he could write all that stuff too. You know, I was just fascinated. I wanted to be just like him and be in stuff once in a while. And you mentioned in the book uh, how he was always angry that he didn't get cast in Animal House when he wrote himself <laughs> a part. And you think that could have made him want to do more uh, acting. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, being in front of the camera he was something he enjoyed, but he never felt was maybe his strongest. But it would pe- I don't think people would consider him a great actor. Um, a great actor? Right, well, I'm just so saying, but he, but he <laughs> certainly held his own. It wasn't like anyone ever would say, why is this guy in this movie? No. But they could, because he wrote it. He could be like, no, I'm going to play this part. I mean, which is so cool that he could command that. But uh, when you go back, and I saw one of these clips from one of the... I don't think it was na- was it National Lampoon, not the radio, but there was something I saw on YouTube with John Belushi and him, and yeah. and they were all acting together. So I think they thought of him. They did but as when a performer. You're working with John Belushi and Bill Murray, you, you end up in the Chevy background. Chase, yeah, I think you think like, hmm. and I think he got that too, which of course made him even more smart. You know, as if he could be yeah, any well, smarter. He knew. People always asked him, "Were you a class clown?" And he would say, "No, I wrote for the class clown." I saw that line. I totally. Yeah. I wrote that down too. Yes. Yeah, because that's so just that's brilliant. where he was comfortable. Yeah, which which of course is so smart because um, you, we know many people that think they should be. He knew to give the. I, I was. Re- I think. Um, I don't know whether it was Ghostbusters or Caddyshack, but he or whatever whatever he was in, and he said, "We have to give this line." Maybe it must have been Ghostbusters. It's funnier if we give this line to Bill Murray. This is the right thing to do, even though that could have been a classic line for him. Right. And that's just being smart yeah. and knowing well, that you're... that was definitely the Second City training. Yeah. Always focus on making the other guy look good. But that's a miracle. Yeah. Some people just can't handle that. They cannot handle that. I mean, I bet you Belushi couldn't... Although they, you said... Uh, your dad said he was very giving, right? Or... He was, but he also, you know, yeah. he would say that he would get up in front of the stage and everyone would look at their watches like, oh, all right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know Chevy was not giving at all. Um, I believe you but even they mentioned. Really well oh, yes. Together, no, absolutely. Man. I mean, it was ridiculous that how they worked together and everything. But um, you even I think you mentioned in the book that um, like Doug Kenny was trying to say something funny. Oh, no, that wasn't you. My God. Nope. You know what? It was Tim Matheson on the Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> podcast. Oh my God, I, I just listened to that last week, which is terrific. You know what's a great book also, in addition to my own, <laughs> is the Chris Nashawadi book on Caddyshack. Oh, I... Yeah, I didn't read that. It's fantastic. I, is it new? It's new. But, and does it have more information than the documentary they had that was about, out about two, three years ago? The Drunk Stoned Brilliant Dead? No, this was a Caddyshack documentary done by, I think, A&E. I didn't see that It was one. like two hours long. They had a lot of the, the lesser cast members talking about, Chris you know. is a great writer, and he really, I think, captured everyone's intelligence and craziness and Was silliness. he there? I mean, he wasn't, but was he, he just interviewed a... people, and he compiled stories and did a lot of research. I talked to him also. Um, my mom did. I mean, Do you know him? Book. I mean, are you, were you I familiar don't. with him? Or? No, I've met him since at a book fair in Chicago, but um, I, I really enjoyed the book. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. When somebody is uh, a good researcher, like I'm thinking about that guy that does the Civil War documentaries and stuff. I mean, Ken, Ken Adams? Is, Ken no, Burns. no, Ken Adams is, uh, <coughs> that's Joey's uh, character name and friend <laughs> when, he, when he wants to not be. Anyway, uh, yeah, Ken Burns. Um, 
So if if he, you know people like that that are good at you know yeah, no, like researching and stuff. Ken, but this is better than Ken Burns. Well, was like you have to be you have to be smart and you got to do all the the, the legwork and stuff. And a lot of people don't you know they just want to put a book out and they don't Definitely. have the stuff. But I think what Chris does that I really appreciate is you know he acknowledges that he's you know in telling the story a part of the story and he offers his perspective and point of view and you know sort of looks at things from a current perspective that but isn't it fascinating that this movie that your dad completely had control over or well. directing it <laughs> well i mean i know he didn't have control but he but but because animal house had been a success he was yes. able to direct this which probably was hard to do and I know they were nervous. The studio was nervous about him being a first-time director and doing this. Yeah. But he had control in a way. I mean, you are the director. and He did, but apparently, I mean, which I knew, but also learned more about from this book, um, it was such a collaborative atmosphere also. I mean, he really didn't know what he was doing. And from the first day, sort of learned, well, I need to ask the people around me for help because they're the experts. Sure, there. and that's, and again, smart too. Apparently, everybody could make suggestions. I mean, even people who weren't involved in the script, I mean, they were rewriting constantly. There was a lot of improvisation. And um, I think, you know, he sometimes did his best work or he did his best work in collaboration with others. Well, I've also heard... Um, <coughs> Woody Allen does that as well, which doesn't seem right, but I've heard he does ask for, you know, he, he lets you collaborate a little bit. Like he says, what do you think? Which you would never think somebody like that would do, which I think probably is the right thing to do, and that's how you make classic comedies. If you're making a comedy, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, well, comedy doesn't happen in a vacuum. You need someone to laugh. <laughs> Did you make that up yourself? No, that's my dad. <laughs> oh, is that right? Boy, he's I good. mean, he probably didn't make it up either, but he said it. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, when you're dealing with all of those people, and I, I had heard that the... Did he also write the script, Kedishek, as well, or...? He did. He, Doug Kenny, and Brian Doyle Murray. Right. But, like I said, I mean... I wasn't sure how much he had to do with that one. Constantly. Yeah. But I heard that the original script was supposed to be about Danny Noonan, and it was technically, you know, a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. And how did it come to just be about the four... I mean, how interesting is it that a teenage sex comedy mm-hmm. technically becomes about four adults right that's never going to happen again <laughs> I yeah mean, i mean i think as they got these sort of star actors at that point um rodney dangerfield ted knight chevy chase and then bill murray um they were just so interesting and my dad sort of looked at them as different examples of of manhood and if you're looking at this coming of age story um you know what man did he want to be and there is your dad coming up on the spot with, you know, what's more interesting? That, um, again, I, I got a vacation. Vacation, the original story by John Hughes was told from the 13-year-old boy's perspective. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And he changed it? Mm-hmm. He wanted to make it more about, you know, the father. and Yeah, because when you have Chevy, he, he, and Chevy at that time, I mean, he was just the shit. <laughs> I mean, he was amazing. Everything he said was funny. I mean, he's lost it since then, I think. But I mean, it's. Uh, are you friends with him at all? Or? I mean, not. We're not not friends. Yeah. But <laughs> we're not hanging out. <laughs> but I mean, he's everything he said was just great and funny, and he yeah. was so cool and smooth. I mean, Chevy could have been. Chevy could have been Tom Hanks if he had played his cards <laughs> the right way. You know, I think he made some bad choices. At you know, but where he could have turned it around. Um, what I you're making a face? No, I'm just thinking that. Um, you know, yes, but my dad also wanted to do what he was interested in, and he was more interested in 
the men than the boys. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm not talking about. I, I was talking about Chevy and other movies. No, I know. Beyond I'm just that, but yeah. Trying to be diplomatic. And oh, that's very nice of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're not like that on this show. So, but uh, yeah, that it, I, I, that is so fascinating, because yeah, I mean, when you think of it, I saw that movie at the exact perfect age. That was actually the first rated R movie I'd ever seen. I was 15. Awesome. And um, in fact, you point out that your your dad took you to see the Bad Lieutenant at fifteen, <laughs> the Harvey Keitel classic, yes. which no fifteen year old should actually be <laughs> at. And did your dad took you to see a lot of those kind of movies, or just that was the first one? No, I saw a lot of sort of inappropriate movies. From and so now age. you take your kids to see inappropriate movies. You mentioned you took your kids to see. Uh, Oh, I don't know what it was. What, but, but you mentioned, one of them you mentioned, for some reason, Working Girl. How is that inappropriate? I mean... What am I missing about that? Because it's one of my favorite movies. with no shirt on. I don't Are you know. kidding? He's having sex with You're the, comparing that to the bad the lieutenant? Girl. Are you out of your mind? I'm just saying. <laughs> I saw that and I'm like, okay, the reason why she's saying that is because clearly your dad got friendly with Sigourney Weaver because he was, she was at the wedding. I put all this in my head that I had to know exactly why she would put Working Girl as the inappropriate boobs, ones to show boobs, 15. Sex. But I don't think they ever showed boobs. No, she was did. in the no. thing, but they never showed actual... She's topless. That was her When thing, she's vacuuming? Yeah. Melanie Griffith? Yeah. No, she wasn't topless. The girl that Alec Baldwin was sleeping with was right. topless. You're right. You're right. There is definitely... But the bad lieutenant... <laughs> It's, it's, uh, but do you? But I noticed that the Sigourney Weaver thing because obviously they must have become friendly doing Ghostbusters. Yeah. Clearly, and getting somebody like her, she's such a badass. Oh, my, I I talk about her on this podcast all the time. Love there is her. another amazing example of a female empowerment person in 1986 who I talk about this all the time. <laughs> I'm obsessed with her as well. I think she lives in the neighborhood here, and um, to be able to do a character a working girl like she did, mm-hmm. and then. Do Aliens. Alien was what year, though? The Alien, Alien was 79, but I mean, Aliens was 86. Yeah. And so she was nominated for, I figured it out now, I was wrong. I believe Gorillas in the Mist for Best Leading. Mm-hmm. And then Aliens, no, no, I must have it wrong. I thought she was, one year she was nominated for Best Supporting and Best, Supporting for Working Girl, and it must have been Gorillas in the Mist for Best Actor. But she got nominated for Best Actress for uh, Aliens as well. And what else? The Year of Living Dangerously? Was she I, I don't think she was nominated but for that, that, that. that woman won I believe who was in it Linda Hunt yes um, but I mean she they, I remember why I was talking about it they were all talking about Wonder Woman and Gal Gadot and like oh this is great I'm like why don't we talk about somebody who did it 20 years ago 30 years ago in Sigourney Weaver playing a major badass female kick-ass action act. star she's a terrific actress and she's amazing in working girl I mean you hate her you know <laughs> I mean but she's so good that movie's one of my favorites. It's a great one. And uh, that's why I was just... is like a Oh, genius. she's yeah, terrific in that. You know, sometimes <laughs> I can vacuum in my underwear. Some, it doesn't make me Madonna. <laughs> never did. Never will. Yeah, she's great. And she turned out to be a, a really terrific actress as well. So it was very well cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melanie Griffith was nominated too. but the, um, And Harrison Ford was having him in it. You know, it's funny. Mike Nichols directed that. And I was just thinking... Of your dad and Amy Heckerling kind of being like Nichols and May, and like what could have happened if they collaborated a little more. I don't know. That's what I was thinking in my head. They were um, a little darker than Nichols and May. I know, which would have made it even better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just a little bit. Yeah, a little. Well, they came from the fifties, you know. Right. So it's amazing that Mike Nichols was able to do such groundbreaking work 
coming from that time period because I don't think any of his peers ever did attempted anything. I mean, his peers being, you know, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks and stuff. I don't think they attempted, you know, some of the stuff like he directed Angels in America and things like right. that. You know, I mean, he, he was um, something else too. I like that kind of stuff. But it's funny. So Caddyshack was my first rated R movie. Mm-hmm. My dad would never take me to anything. I asked him to take me to see Three Days of the Condor with Robert <laughs> Redford. He wouldn't take me to see that. I saw that. And now I worship that movie. I love it because I finally saw it like only 10 years ago. And I'm like, oh, my God, it still holds up. It's amazing. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, so that was the first rated R movie. And I was 15. I mean, uh, that, that probably just changed my life. Well, you were prime age. But I had no idea your dad, you know, being an SCTV fan already at that time, I had no idea your dad was involved. I just knew, you know, I knew obviously knew Bill Murray. I was obsessed with Rodney Dangerfield mm-hmm. after that. Uh, he became my hero. Um, that's probably why I went into stand-up comedy in that direction. I always just wanted to be a comic actor, like all those right. guys. You know, I mean that. Who wouldn't? Rodney Dangerfield's entrance in Caddyshack is one of the greatest mo- motion picture entrances of all time. I assume that's your dad's doing. I mean, <clears throat> I assume so too. <laughs> I don't know. Do you not care or what? I mean, it's I do. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I was you don't two obsess. years old, so I don't remember. No, I, I know. I know. Yeah. Shot for shot, but yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean, my dad used to feel like Caddyshack was such a mess. He found it hard to watch. I'm, I can understand that as well, and I get it. But it's funny because as much as he thought it was a mess, it's very cohesive as far as when you see movies today that are messes. <laughs> um, it's completely it works. put together, and there's no down spots. It's, it's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> and And that's the thing. I mean, if we just... I mean, I don't know. I just want to get into Groundhog Day because... Let's go. I have an uh, autographed copy from your father, a VHS copy. Wow. Um, my friend used to work with him and Trevor. Mm-hmm. She didn't care for him. I know you say he's a lovely guy, but apparently he was very difficult to work for if he wasn't... If you, if, you know, if you're not his, Harold's daughter. Interesting. Yeah, she, had, she would call me all the time saying, this guy is so mean and nasty. I know it's horrible. I know it because I know he's your friend and... You know, kind of a mentor in a way, a little bit, right? Or Trevor? Yeah. I mean... He's a family friend, forever, right? You've known yeah. him, and you, you say he's nice. I remember hearing his name, and I'm like, wait a minute. I remember that name as being... Yeah, I never worked for the guy. Yeah, but right. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. She got, I told her I was doing the podcast, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a nightmare. Yeah, because she was working for Harold Ramis's company. I'm like, oh, my God, what a dream. And she's like, yeah, it's not the dream you'd, you'd, you'd think. Well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but... Well, you don't mind me talking about that, right? We're all good, right? And everything. Good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> You're just very mellow. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm mellow. like out of, shot out of a cannon because this doubt, is very exciting. I don't speak. <laughs> I wish I could be like that, but I can't. You would not have and a podcast. Is, uh, yeah, for one thing, and uh, I'd probably have a better career um, in something else. But um, with Groundhog Day, and I'm skipping over so much stuff. We can go back or, or not. I know you don't want to talk too long because I really need like another episode with you, <laughs> clearly. Um, but I just got to... I mean, this movie... This movie is one of the greatest movies ever made. It's not like the others. It's like your dad graduated into this level of Hitchcock and John Hughes. I mean, the greats. Capra. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the greats of movie making with this movie because I always say in the wrong hands this movie's a disaster 
if you don't, and it's all in the directing, if you don't set everything up perfectly in its timing and you're doing scene after scene again and repeating, you're lost. Right. And so everything has to be precise in a movie like this, let alone he, I think he, you've made it clear and he's made it clear, it's very, uh, would you say, ex, ex, I'm better with words, ex, existential. Ex, existential. Yes. And he was very, uh, it's very spiritual. Mm-hmm. And he uh, agrees with that. Did he set out to do that or did it just become that way? Well, like we were saying, I mean, he he wanted to make movies about the things that mattered to him. So even the sort of quote unquote dumber comedies, I mean, were still about something. Yeah. Um, and I think as he got older, his interests evolved and he did become more spiritual and he was always interested in history and philosophy and psychology. But um, those things just all sort of coalesced perfectly into Groundhog Day. Um, and that's what was on his mind and in his heart at the time. And I think it comes across... Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, if you got rid of everything else, and I mean, and you're, I mean, he's, I mean, you know, just Caddyshack alone, but then Ghostbusters and and, and, and analyze this. I mean, these are just the, the the classics. But if all of those were gone, and he only did Groundhog Day, <laughs> it would be like that guy that did Arthur. You know, like he made this one movie and then he died. Uh, but Arthur is a classic Diana. comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, and you know, it, it's just, you know, everybody watches this movie over and over again. And the more you watch it, the better it is, you know, because you catch, I mean, it's one of those movies you can watch. Did you, know, you see the play? Yes. thought it was great. I hated it. <laughs> I have songs from it that are, oh, okay. So let's take a look at this. Uh, <laughs> hold on a second. Cause I, uh, um, <laughs> all right. You tell me, you tell me how this could possibly be good. <laughs> All right. How is this a good part of the play? Well, here I am again, the pretty but naive one, the perky breasted giggly one night stand. I guess you know who it is then. Is it my destiny to be? Is a it brief necessary to have a song for Nancy Taylor? God forbid we should hear. Anything from a woman's perspective. I didn't mean that. You know, <laughs> that's not fair. You took it. I hated the um, Ned Ryerson one as well. Do we need a slow song and a backstory for Ned Ryerson? That's sad. My wife died and I'm miserable. I hated that show. Well, then I think you did not really absorb the message of Groundhog Day. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's why I wanted to be left alone. You know, I, I feel this like... Oh, you're a purist. Well... N- it depends. I just didn't like this. I didn't like the music, and I loved Matilda, the guy that he's the one who did this. Well, I like this guy, wow. Tim Munchen, I think his name is. Um, obviously, I know, was it Danny who did the screenplay? Ruben. Danny Rubin. You know, his screenplay is brilliant, but this, wow. this was not... The movie that was made was brilliant. Ah, exactly. <laughs> well, then that's why I didn't like Groundhog Day the musical. <laughs> and I went with this guy that knows everything about theater this guy Larry Moss and I've had him on the show he's an acting teacher and you know he didn't we didn't none of us hated it I, I was, was saying moved. I hated it I thought the set design was amazing I thought the lead was well, that guy is great Andy Carl is yeah. a terrific actor um, I liked it because it wasn't really like the movie it was totally its own thing and I appreciated that because I didn't want to see just a rehashing of the movie with songs but I felt yeah. like they pulled out 
different parts of it and highlighted those, and I thought that was really creative. There were, I did like the fact that it wasn't like the movie yeah. as much, so that was okay. But I didn't, I didn't like the Andy McDowell character. I didn't think she was very good. Um, I, I can just say because I don't care. And um, <laughs> but Andy Carl's a he's a real uh, thing. But um, again, it was the same year as Dear Evan Hansen. And they were talking about it. it was between Andy Carl and Ben Platt. And I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> and I love Andy Carl. I've seen him in Rocky. I've seen him in, uh, what is he in? I, I, the Greece. <laughs> like, I mean, I've seen this guy. And he's Greece. just taking over somebody else. Um, he's doing something else. I can't remember what it was. Something big that's coming to Broadway. Cool. It could be Pretty Woman. Um, so I, I, this guy's great. He's good in everything he does. But he was no contest for Ben Platt. You know, I mean, in, in Groundhog Day. This just wasn't. But he's he's a delightful. He is delightful, and he sings well, and he looks good, and mm-hmm. you know it's stuff. But um, yeah, he had like a broken kneecap or something. Yeah, and he still went on. Yeah, he's the man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I didn't. I so I, yeah, of course I had to see it. But I, you know, it just, you know, right. and and you know, actually, when I saw it in the movies, one of my favorite parts was when your dad is in it, um, because he has this very small scene, mm-hmm. and. He just adds in this one thing that makes me laugh immediately because I know he's really funny where he, he is technically can't see well. Right. And it's just a, a throw in that no one else would notice unless you're a huge Harold Ramis fan. And I was like, I love this guy so yeah. much. He gave himself a small part. Yeah. He let he let the movie go and, and, and he just put himself in this scene, which is exactly what I would do, and 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 made his small part something he had some great little cameos <clears throat> i mean in airheads he played i never saw a that cop. oh my god um as good as it gets um, oh my god yeah isn't that for, why was he in that knocked up yeah i never saw knocked up i don't care for i know seth rogan did your thing but i i don't like his movies that much okay i know it's bad but um i know it's bad because i work with judd apatow sometimes so uh i gotta get on those <laughs> but um but yeah, why, how did he get into As Good As It Gets? And I love his character in that. I mean, what's better than his character? He saves the day. I know, I know. And he <laughs> saves that little sweet. boy. He goes, well, the good news is there's <laughs> nothing to worry about. and I'm here now. And you that's know. how he was. That's well, how did, he get, like, how did he get that? Did he audit, Or did know. James Brooks ask him to do I it? Or James asked him to do it. He, no, he only auditioned, I think, once. In uh, his life or for that In his movie? life, I believe. For which uh, movie? Really went for, Baby which Boom? Was, no, the, Co- <laughs> the Coen Brothers. Oh, he which wanted one was to that? be in a serious man, but he didn't get cast. To be the lead? No, just to oh. be in it. Yeah, I remember him in Baby Boom. I remember yes. watching that movie and being like, why is he in this? Because I never he understood. He was the perfect the... yuppie asshole. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. okay. No, we <laughs> say those words all the time. Don't worry. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I was just always fast. I was always happy to see him in something, but always very surprised mm. that he wanted to be an actor. And again, as you put in the book... Did that stem from John Landis not casting him in Animal House? <laughs> I mean... Because he had to have been mad. It's Let's say you know he's not going to play Boone, which I think he wrote for himself, right? But there's so many other parts. How does he not get something? He didn't want to be an extra. Oh, okay. well, I'm gonna, oh, yeah, I guess that would be I an mean, extra, Doug right? I mean, Doug had his little weirdo yes, and he's great. part. Fantastic. Come on, you moron. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I thought he would want to you know, even yeah, get a scene like no. that. Because it's just, you know, folklore and awesomeness and stuff. But, you know, he wrote it, so it's still, he's still the king. <laughs> and, I mean, that movie. And, and again, listening to Tim Matheson, I was going to tell my audience, if you want to listen on Gilbert's podcast, Tim Matheson talking about Animal House is, is terrific. Um, 
Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a more Animal House knowledge, and you know those of us who are the, of the right age for Caddyshack and Animal House, I mean, this is a dream come true. But the other thing I wanted to talk about Groundhog Day. It, oh, this I've been. This is stuff I needed to tell you about your father. You know, like I'm basically this whole podcast is just blowing smoke up your ass uh, <laughs> because I worship your father, as you can see in these photos. I've been worshiping him for a long, long time. I was so angry. Groundhog Day is such a modern miracle of movie making in every way because it is a classic comedy, but it is also just a great movie. And in every way, spiritually, comedically, just movie-wise, it tells a, it sends a message and and Bill Murray is absolutely brilliant and maybe if not for this movie he doesn't go on to do these artsy product projects because the fact of the way it, it starts out and how he, you know, becomes this this thing and changes through the movie, which mm-hmm. is all you ever ask for in a comedy. Um, it's Tim Matheson that talks about the the writing in Animal House and how important it was for the characters to be nice mm. at some point uh, because they had... Oh, I know what he was talking about. He was talking about the scene where they're uh, driving the girls... Um, yeah. To you know the 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 Ford Leibowitz, and they're driving and and they're going to get late. I guess they're trying or whatever. And they're with um, uh, not uh, he's Otter uh, Flounder, mm-hmm. and they're like, hey, I hope she has big tits or something. And he goes, not as big as yours. And he says, I don't know, what, you know, if it's your dad or anybody, they say, don't say that line because then it makes Otter very mm-hmm. mean. And you you know, their fraternity friend, they're not mean to each other right. like that. And they're, and and it was important to show the girls walking home so at least they know they got home safely. Right. I mean, there has to, I mean, even though it's totally dated in the sense of racism and all that kind of stuff, but it's also a period of time. It's depicting a, yes. you know, a time when that was. So you can't get angry at this kind of stuff when you're depicting a time. No, don't, I don't think you have to get angry about it. This was a depiction be. of your dad's time in college. Yeah. Which was the the 60s, right? Yes, it was. He graduated in 66, yeah. I believe. Which, which was also another great thing about the movie, that it was a period piece. Right. And another brilliant example of, you know, what a smart idea. Well, I think it ends, you know, the day before Kennedy is assassinated. And for him, that was really important because it was this time of innocence. And then everything Oh, how interesting. That. Do they mention that? in the cr- I guess at the, oh, they do. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, I never thought about it like that. Well. <laughs> he's, such a, he's such an interesting guy, your dad. You know, it's amazing. But um, that's the thing in, in Groundhog Day, well, Bill Murray is such a, you know, such an asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's just, you know, there's, in all of his pictures, the pictures, yeah, 105 <laughs> years, you know, you're making a picture. And, uh, but in all of his movies, he, he does have this niceness to it, which uh, always made his movies special. Like even like an analyze this or something, you know, there is, even though you're dealing with the mob, there is this niceness about it, you know, and, and that's what makes it so great for everybody. I don't even know that it's niceness so much, although I think he did avoid, you know, sort of taking really gratuitous, vicious digs at anybody. But yeah. um, he just saw the humanity in people even like less than savory you know people are people you would typically think of as you know a jerk like he 
was like, well, why are they a jerk? <laughs> yeah, and that's and how do and they that, grow? And that's what Groundhog Day is, yeah. and it's completely fascinating. You know, with just uh, just even the way it opens, and and then and then the. W- you know, and there's so many. Yeah, sorry. they thought about casting Tom Hanks, or they wanted Tom Hanks for well, that. That could have worked too. Well, he said, "I don't think anybody would buy me as the bad guy, so there would be nowhere to Tom really Hanks go." Yeah, he said that. Yeah, he didn't. Feel why like wouldn't he had Why wouldn't the, your dad want to immediately? I know their relationship was strained after Groundhog Day, but why wouldn't he immediately? I mean, he's done so much great work with your dad. I, I'm sorry, Bill Murray. Um, yeah. Why wouldn't he choose him first? I mean, he may have. He was just as big a star. I think probably bigger at the time. I don't know if he said yes right away. I mean, I don't. Oh, you know, if that was ninety three, ninety four, maybe that's when Tom Hanks was really coming. He I might have just won an Oscar right from Philadelphia. It was ninety, yeah, ninety three. So they were filming big. it in ninety two. Yeah. Oh, so after well, it was eighty, eighty eight, eighty nine. Right, but so. I think that was sort of the yeah. So, the, but but Bill Murray was still just was as perfect. big. So yeah, yeah. Um, less predictable. But so <laughs> I was always. Very angry that he. I, I talked about this for twenty years yes, that he why was are you angry? <laughs> not nominated, uh-huh. that he was not noticed, and I'm not just talking about screenwriting. I am talking about directing. They don't love comedy. I know, and it's like, and I'm looking. Here's the best pictures for that year. Now you're not going to beat Schindler's List, <laughs> you know. I know. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I, I prefer Groundhog Day one that year. <laughs> But you, you know, that was Spielberg's. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You, you, you spiel. You, you give it up to Spielberg. Okay, we can let it go. I prefer. I think Groundhog Day was a much better picture. <laughs> but you know, what are you gonna do? So they nominate that year, which I think it should have been nominated for the picture. They got The Fugitive, which was great. Um, In the Name of the Father. What the hell was that? <laughs> Does anybody even remember that one? The Piano. That's all right, right? The and the Remains of the Day. Now, there's no reason Groundhog Day can't be there. You're absolutely right. They don't like comedies. Okay. Groundhog Day wouldn't really fit in with those. (laughs) I see. I disagree 100%. I disagree 100%. And the best director, they have all those idiots, and they got Robert Altman in there for shortcuts. Shortcuts? That's like the worst movie ever made. There is right there where your father should be. And I was angry for years that he's not even... I appreciate your anger. Oh, my God. I was furious because I'm like, how do you not recognize that if, if you get... That Annie Hall is the greatest, which they got. And not only did it nominate it, it won everything because people got it. They're like, wow, this is great. I feel Groundhog Day is like that. I'm like, how are you not seeing it? And, you know, oh, Tom Hanks won for Best Actor that year for Philadelphia. That was the year he won. And, uh, you know, I'm like, why isn't Bill Murray nominated? You know, but Best Screenplay, how are they not nominated for that at the very least? The piano wins that year. Are you kidding? Two Holocaust movies. <laughs> I mean, how are you going to beat that? Dave with that idiot, Kevin Klein. Oh, I, I can't Kevin stand Klein. that guy. In the line of fire with that uh, Clean Eastwood movie. Yeah. How, how is that script Wasn't good? Wasn't that with John Malkovich? Yes, also? and Malkovich is the villain. It's good, it's good. But it, Philadelphia, and here's the worst one of all, which is exactly where Groundhog Day should be. One of the worst films ever made, Uh-oh. in my opinion. And I know you can, you know, whatever. You don't have to make a face or anything. Sleepless in Seattle with the absolute horrible Nora Ephron. I never liked one thing she did. She was way overrated. Basically, you stole everything from Woody Allen. And that is where your dad should be nominated. You can sit there all you want. But that's <laughs> the way it's going to be. And then let's go to the Golden Globes where they nominate comedy and drama 
He's not listed there either. Do you mind me squinting like this? Because this is the podcast. No, please go on. <laughs> uh, so for that year, for musical comedy, they nominate Dave again. Much Ado About Nothing. What? That stupid Kevin Brannett the Shakespeare one. Sleepless in Seattle. Strictly Ballroom. Great movie. Yes. <clears throat> and the one that wins, Mrs. Doubtfire. No, no. That's where you put in Groundhog Day. At least the Golden Globes, and it should have won. Okay. Mrs. Doubtfire is fun. I don't like Robin Williams, I said, but um, you, you're going to tell me that Mrs. Doubtfire is better than Groundhog Day? That'll never win. Groundhog Day is a special, special movie. It is. Look, this is what I brought you here for, to <laughs> yell at you, <laughs> no, to, to, to just tell you, to yell at the people who decide this stuff and tell you that your father was completely overlooked in this kind of category, and it makes me angry to this day. And then this idiot Robin Williams, he wins for Mrs. Doubtfire. I, I mean, mean, come on. <clears throat> and he's not nominated for Best Director. I think he was always underestimated. Oh, absolutely. But I would think Groundhog Day would be nope. the one that would put him to this next level, which it did, but I want him people, acknowledged. People are not smart. <laughs> and they, they, they put out this guy for best director. They put out Martin, this guy, Martin Scorsese. What has that guy ever done? <laughs> what has he ever done? Yeah, but for The Age of Innocence, that's like his worst movie. Whatever he does. It's gold. <laughs> gold, Jerry. And then they put that Robert Altman again for best screenplay. Best screenplay. I can't even believe it. They don't need the remains of the day. The best screenplay. Are you kidding? This drives me crazy. This is a long grudge to hold. Yeah. Well, the good news is they have a list. There's a guy in Entertainment Weekly who was very also angry, like I was, of <laughs> movies that were not nominated. And he puts in, uh, well, he has The Searchers in there with John Wayne, which, you know, should of course been nominated because it's the, uh, it's the, that's where they got Star Wars from. There's okay. like scenes in that that was, you know, I mean, it's uh, inspirational to a lot of young directors and stuff like that at the time. George Lucas and people like that. Boring. Um, <laughs> the Shining. Great movie. The Big Lebowski. Also. Bennett like Beckham, which is a personal favorite. Modern Times, Heat, and American Psycho. But in this list, he has Caddyshack and Groundhog Day. Great. You don't care at all, do you? You know, this doesn't make you angry. It doesn't. I'm furious right now. <laughs> he says, Caddyshack somehow manages to balance several different brands of comedy from, sev from different performers. Dangerfield's Hyper Bowl. Hyperbole. Hyperbole, thank you. I looked at you because you know I told you I can't <laughs> pronounce that. Chevy Chase's casual narcissism, Bill Murray's deadpan absurdity, and Ted Knight's perpetual outrage. And in the process, it created a dirty comedy that everyone can enjoy. In a happier world, the best supporting actor nominations would have been Joe Pesci for Raging Bull and those four guys from Caddyshack. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff I see. There are other people out there like me who just get angry. <coughs> but when you, you, know, you have a piece like this that's important, I don't know. You, do you care? Am I crazy? I mean, I what's mean, your favorite of your dad's? What, what's I do. All right. Well, you're in the I industry. I need him to have the recognition. It's important to me. People who know, know. I know. You have to look at it like this. But, oh, so also with, uh, oh, so I found this. Uh, this is in your book. In Groundhog Day, the original opening had Bill Murray punching Ned Ryerson, and then it was all backstory of how it 
got to that. He was already halfway into the repetition. Fascinating stuff. Who decided to change it? Your dad? Yes. Um, I mean, I think, I don't know exactly. I wasn't in the room when it happened. You weren't? Because no. you were in a lot of the other rooms. <laughs> um, but yeah, he felt like people wouldn't buy in and invest in the story if they didn't sort of get the seduction of learning the beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and uh, you know, everybody always talks about um, you know, the, the, always the thing is like, how long was he there? Right. You know, how did it happen? I understand there was originally it was a gypsy curse <laughs> or a glitch in space and time, which is too easy. Right. I'm so glad your dad said, who cares? And you figured it out mm-hmm. for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's risky. People get angry at stuff like that when things aren't explained. So that's taking a huge risk. Um, but I don't think it even mattered. I mean... You don't know. You know, sometimes people get... the You know, you're end, you're like, that's it? We don't know where he was? <laughs> but nobody feels that way with Grand Tag Day. We we get the spiritualness of it. You know, that, that first time when it starts snowing and you're like, something's different and you're like, ooh. You know, like, I mean, it's exciting and then it's just such a happy ending and, and, and a great end line. Um, you know, it is today or something, whatever it is. And... What can I do for you today? You know, which is such a nice line. And, and even the best line, I think it's just like, let's live here. We'll <laughs> rent to start, which is great. Um, but it's, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. To fi- and, and we also wonder, there's also a lot of people talking about like, how long was he in there for? Mm-hmm. What was the loop? What did your dad say it was? I don't, I mean, I read interviews where I guess he said it could be 10, th- you know, 10,000 years is the Buddhist I had heard like 35 years or something like, oh, <laughs> like maybe people 10, like thousand days. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, did but, but you, know, I'm saying like, did your dad ever have, did people ask him this when they were out with him. you and, and he would just always say the 10,000 days or whatever. I think or, he would just defer to whatever. I know. I know he doesn't care because he was system. over it and stuff. And it's like, no, you got to figure it out. But he everybody, over it. I think he just saw that part of the beauty of it is that it was open to interpretation. So, Jews thought it was about Judaism. Buddhists thought it was about mm. Buddhism. Christians thought it was about Christianity. Um, I have a friend who works um, with autistic people, and he said it's even an autistic fantasy to get to Ooh. repeat something over wow. and over again, and that gives you the space to have personal growth, which I thought was totally fascinating. Yeah, that's completely interesting. Wow. Yeah. So the mo- so look, think about that. That the movie completely holds up. Uh, what is it? Just Twenty years later, I guess. Twenty three or so. Twenty four. Um, and then it has new meaning. It was in 93, so yeah. that's 20, right? Or I keep getting I confused with what's 30 yeah, and what's 20 anymore. Where are we? <laughs> but it's just... Uh, oh, so also um, your dad and Bill Murray, apparently uh, your dad went nuts and grabbed him by the collar at one point. They got into a fight, and it's just, see, this is what I do in my head. Uh-huh. I connect stuff. Because they have that scene in Stripes yes. where he does the exact same thing to him yes. uh, when he thinks he's trying to go AWOL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that already? Yes, so you know, I know Stripes very well. I know. Did you, but you remember, or did you make that connection that that happened? Or I is mean, that, that just was sort of crazy the most Dave Jaskow? That my dad ever. <laughs> well, that's what got. I'm saying. I can't imagine him being like that. No, he was not a fighter. But Bill Murray is the kind of guy that can make you become that. I'm that guy. Okay. I can make people very upset and they just want to punch me. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you're feeling that now, kind of. You're like, oh, I get that. I get that about it you. Passed. Oh, thank <laughs> um, yeah, because there's another one, too. I was thinking um, your dad, to get out of the army, mm-hmm. said he was gay. 
right? A gay drug addict. Yeah. A gay drug addict, and it was successful. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody has a problem with that, not wanting to go to Vietnam and coming out with a very intelligent way to figure out a way. I mean, if you're bright enough to come out, if, if you're bright enough to come up with a plan to get yourself out and, and don't really do anything illegal, <laughs> then, you know, good for you <laughs> because you win because you're smart enough to get yourself out to a no-win situation. But it's funny because I think about, as soon as I heard that, I think about this scene, which he clearly used later on. Um, here it is. Now, there's a couple of questions that I have to ask you. They're a little personal. Uh, have you ever been uh, convicted of a felony or a misdemeanor? That's uh, robbery, rape, car theft, that sort of thing. Convicted? Yeah. No. Never convicted. Never convicted. That's good. Good. Are either of you... Uh, Homosexuals. <laughs> you mean like flaming or? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a standard question we have to ask. No, we're not homosexual, but we are willing to learn. <laughs> Your dad is a shit. I don't know. <laughs> He's just so funny. Um, I think, you know, it's like, I like reading your book because the stuff you hear about him, it, you can see he puts it in the movies, you know, and I've clearly wrote this movie about going into the army mm-hmm. had to have been thinking of his dealings with the army and, and just wrote it into the script. And that's great stuff. Yeah. I mean, again, he didn't write the original script. He didn't write the original stripe script. No, it was, I think I want to say Dan Goldberg and it was originally written, I think for Cheech and Chong. Oh, that's true. I, yes. I read that in your book. And then Ivan brought my dad in to rewrite it for, you know, for him and Bill. You know, it makes so much sense at that time it would be written for Cheech and Chong. That does seem like... And it seemed like... was Would that have been right after Up in Smoke? Or that be the second movie or so? It just seems right up their alley mm-hmm. that Cheech and Chong joined the army. It makes so much sense. But isn't that fascinating that these two... And it would never... Nobody would have even given it a second thought if it was Cheech and Chong. And now it's such a, you know, a classic comedy, a real classic comedy... Again, coming out when I was the perfect age for it. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm even dressed like your father. <laughs> you know, like, and, you know, how many times I go, there she was just a walking down the streets. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that movie's great. And, and it's funny, as, the, as time goes on, people never liked the second half. Mm. They used to say it goes downhill. It's very much like, it's funny, it's, it reminds me a lot of Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> You were thinking yeah, that? Yeah, so similar. Oh, no, you weren't no, thinking I that know. at all. I, but I was, actually. Oh, you were? Yeah. In the sense that that first 45 minutes is right. not to be believed. Awesome. You can watch it 100 times. And then the second part becomes a normal Vietnam movie, you know, one you've seen before. We used to watch Full Metal Jacket on Mushrooms in high school. Oh, my God. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> yes. That, that's like watching 2001 on yeah, Acid, but for me, and the guy's name is Dave. You know, so I'm like, what? <laughs> oh my god that's yeah you used to take them too right a lot not a lot i only took them a couple times i'm no good at that i've done it a couple times me and in fact it's in sarah silverman's book where we took acid together nice. and it turned out to be a mess you know for us we and for me i am the worst i mean look, look at the way i talk in all this stuff. You, you can't even imagine me on that i would be the worst you'd be so angry at me like we're not doing mushrooms with that guy again. but for me the worst part is the waiting for it to kick in. Mm. 
by you know a half hour in when it hasn't taken effect, I'm like, I shouldn't have taken this. This is a huge <laughs> mistake. You know, like so nobody wants to be with that person. But I think you could be the kind of person that would talk me down and help yeah, me. Yeah, you have to be with the right people in yeah. the right situation. I think you could do that for me, and then we could be friends. <laughs> well, let's see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how this goes. So whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, with you, um, you seem like you you know you had you had this wonderful start. And then your parents split up mm-hmm. and then things got seedy as they often do in divorces. Um, but you kept a good relationship with both your parents. But then you tried different things, whether you act out sexually or you know, drugs or whatever and stuff and act up in school and you got moved to different, to boarding school? Or no. Not boarding school, some, but yeah, different I mean, school a though. different school. Um, yeah. and, but it seems like you now totally have your act together or at least have a lot of your act together you have a, a family you have a your sustained sustainable life um yeah i mean and you have how many kids you have i have three and my husband also has three from his previous oh you got marriage. a brady bunch thing going on oh my god that's why you say the blended family i wasn't sure exactly yes. what we were talking about you're talking about molly no. um oh my uh wow yeah <laughs> and you live in manhattan yes do you live in a mansion <laughs> no. i hope do you live in a Do you live in a brownstone? No. You just live in an apartment. Yeah. Please tell me it's at least like a couple stories. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you do that? You how are you such a calm person? I mean, they're not. No, no kids are here. <laughs> oh, they're all older. No, they're just not here right now. <laughs> in the room with us. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, how? What are their ages? Uh, from ranging from sixteen to three. Oh my, so you are in full mother mode now. Full mother mode. Oh my, <laughs> six, that's really tough. The stepkids are only with us on the weekends. It's fun. Oh, so then it's it turns chaos. out to be three, but do you have enough room for everybody? We have four bedrooms. I mean, people double up. They Do up. they like each other, the stepkids and the, uh, they or the, I mean, step their kids, but yeah, they. Yeah, no, they do. I mean, I think as they've gotten older, it's gotten a little easier. So are any of the kids with the husband you have now? Yes, the three-year-old. Oh, one of the kids. Yeah. The other two are Baby from... Baby Harold. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> um, he would have been, I'm sure, very thrilled. Yes. You know, your dad, obviously you know this, um, died very young. And I was actually glad to read that he was a smoker. Because if he died any other way, I'd be furious. You know, it's like, I mean... Yeah, I, I need there to be a reason. He didn't die from smoking. What did he die from? He had an autoimmune reaction to a diverticulitis infection. You don't think that anything has to do with You said he smoked a lot. I mean, he quit smoking, you know. Well, my dad did before. the same thing and it didn't work out well, even the quitting. I think that I smoking mean, is just bad smoked, news. But he also was overweight. I mean, he wasn't a picture of health. I understand, but I'm just, I just, I need, I, that was very shocking. He died very young. Yeah. And you know what's even weirder? John Hughes, same thing. Yeah. And these two collaborated together just once, right? Vacation. Yeah. In a sense. Did they not like each other? They didn't collaborate, but I... Well, I'm yeah. saying it was his script and his direction. Yeah. So that's why I would think... Did John Hughes have nothing to say on I vacation? I I mean, they they were both Chicago guys. I mean... Did they, they know each other? They did, but not well. I think they weren't, like, friends. That's kind of odd in a way, since they... Like you said, both Chicago... He makes Chicago movies and... Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly different kinds of movies, but um, 
Well, he was more interested in the teenage experience. Yeah. He sort of stayed there. He branded a new kind of movie, right. um, which was fascinating. And, and like your father, uh, was very... Um, what, what do you call it when somebody uh, is uh, structured in, in, mm-hmm. in writing and, and you know, um, able to uh, be focused to continue to write and write and write yes, and, and, you know, and, and have project after the next, but, you know, working on another project while doing another mm-hmm. project. And in that sense, I think of, you know, your father and him uh, similarly. And in fact, they were both around the same time, probably around the same age, mm-hmm. too. And both died around the same time. Which is yeah. kind of weird, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, but how long has he been gone now? Uh, he died in February 2014. Oh, so it's only been <coughs> four, four years. years. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, I'm so sorry because you know it's like I mean there there was so much more for him to do. Yeah, I mean I agree. It was lost personally, obviously, but um, I think he was young and he would have you know continued to make movies and you know, even teach and write and, you know, he just had a lot. I don't even want to think about how he could, what he could have done with Netflix and things (laughs) like that and the money they probably would have offered him to do whatever he wanted to do. It seems like they get it and they're just like, dude, whatever you want, we're here for you. Uh, I don't know, you know, he was, he was a a truly great man and um, a pioneer and the fact that he, I mean, look at, look at who he was, who he, put himself with I mean the, the cast of SCTV are my favorite actors mm-hmm. of all time the fact that he you know was working alongside with these people obviously they realized his greatness as well yeah. you're talking about John Candy and Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara and Andrea Martin and mm-hmm. and then you talk about Bill Murray and Brian Doyle Murray Rick and Moranis. Rick Moranis Martin Short I yeah. mean these guys all got it and he thank God got them and knew to work with them and mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, know. it was seems like an incredible confluence of of luck and and being in the right place at the right time with all these really brilliant people. Yeah, and also what, what I like about your book is, like you said here earlier, how he chose projects because a lot of them weren't for me later, you know, and stuff. They, mm. There's a lot in between, but you know, like um, multiplicity or or, or bedazzled. even bedazzled, which I you know didn't like. Stuart saves his family, right? It's and underrated. He, <laughs> yes, you mentioned that. Uh, I didn't. I'll, I'm going to need to check that out yeah, because it, you said it was underrated. And uh, but you know, who, it's pretty cool that he seemed to get along with Al Franken because yeah. he seems like a good. I'm upset with what happened to him because I really would have voted for him to be president, and I still will. I, I I want that to go away. I mean, do you do you have any dealings with Al Franken? No, I don't. I mean, I think that he has done a lot of great things, and I think it's unfortunate. Do you feel he should be, he should have resigned and he shouldn't be back in politics because of what happened in the I Me Too sense? I don't think he should have resigned only because, I mean, what, is, what standard are we That's <laughs> That's what I'm like saying, too. I don't think he should have resigned. None of the other guys are resigning. Exactly. Um, I was however, very upset by that. you know, don't grab people's asses. Like, well, yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely I know, right. No, I, I don't think he needed to resign. And I, you know, I mean, I think all of this... I think we're figuring out how to deal with all of this as a culture, and we're not doing a very good job. No, and it's funny. Um, Alec Baldwin has this new, <laughs> this new t- talk show he's trying to do, and he had a pilot 
after the Oscars and Jerry Seinfeld was his first guest and they were talking about the Me Too movement, you know, what do you think? And Jerry Seinfeld said, you know, my wife said it's going to get worse for women before it gets better. Mm-hmm. Like it, it think because now people wouldn't, they might not hire a woman before they hire a man in the sense like, well, I don't want any trouble. Mm-hmm. So that has to weed itself out in a way and that might take some years, but maybe we'll get it I together. I, I don't know. You don't Let's think see. so? You don't have any hope, huh? No, oh. I mean, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, that <laughs> there will be a, a takeover from the old guard, which has, you know, been yeah straight white men for a long yes. time. Well, I know. It's a it's bummer for me already. because, uh, <laughs> you know, this should have been my time, you know. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. A straight white man. It should have been. This should have been great. For, I should have been doing everything I ever wanted You're to do. Okay. No, it's unacceptable. This should be my time. And now everybody hates straight you white sound men. Like all straight white men. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> it's time. completely unacceptable. But um, yeah, no, I don't know. I just so the, the Stuart said this thing. But the way you say that, he just chose projects that he after he made his money and you know did whatever he needed to do and told his message of what he needed to put. He just went to this place where he said, this is the story I feel like telling, and this is what interests me. Yeah, and I think he had, you know, the times when maybe projects, when he didn't fully believe in something, and he just sort of got, you know, pressured into doing work that he didn't feel that way about. It didn't work out so well. So at least when he really believed in something, he would always stand by it, whether it did well or not. He felt good about what he had done. Yeah. And that, and that's I mean that's all you can ask for especially when you're somebody like him who's a very spiritual guy and uh, he became a Buddhist is that what happened or he didn't like officially convert but yes he practiced his sort of individual form of Buddhism he was Buddhist <laughs> is because but he was um, but he was Jew you said he, he uh, like he practiced a little or something like he or was, you had satyrs and we stuff had like satyrs. that I mean he spoke he was involved in a congregation in Chicago called Aitzheim and, um, you know, spoke with them and his great friend, Rabbi Erwin Kula, um, (laughs) you know, he loved big ideas and talking to smart people. And so Judaism, I think, (coughs) laid some of the groundwork for that, you know, in Hebrew school. Isn't it interesting, though, because like, you know, none of his movies have any religious characters at all like Jewish he was or in walk hard he played a I don't know what Hasidic that is orthodox Jew walk hard is the that Dewey the Dewey Cox, Cox story? story oh yeah oh well, but his movies I mean no, his yeah. um you know never had any any religious to- which is the way to do it you know if you're going to make well, a spiritual but not religious yeah which is, which is why Groundhog Day covers all the bases in one right which is so terrific Sorry, I'm just taking a sip of coffee. Let me. I, I, I know you want to go. I can see you're getting. Okay. Oh, really? Well, Are you I mean, okay? Well, what do you got? What do you got? Kids, you got to worry about or something? <laughs> what do you got? Like a thing? Oh, um, with, just with analyze this, you got to meet Robert De Niro. Yes, that and was, that was very like exciting. Complete. How old were you? Were you in college mm-hmm. by that time? What was that? Ninety. Uh, Ninety nine. I was just graduate. Yeah, it was my last year of college. If your book is. Your book is completely different than the book I'd be writing. Like, and you know, in the summers when I was home, I'd go to the movie set. We'd hang out with Bobby De Niro. Whatever. I mean, because um, you, well, you even said it was better than working in a frozen yogurt shop. <laughs> but um, yeah, you got to like meet him, and you were on the set of Analyze. I mean, the fact that you're on the set of some of these movies, the fact that you, in my life, I can't imagine when I see stills from Caddyshack. I know you understand guys my age who you know how important Caddyshack is to us. <laughs> Your husband is he 
a guy who's a fan of of these kind of thing, or it doesn't sound like really it's a little more artsy. So he doesn't <laughs> say the lines on a daily basis, or anything. he tells me he says, "Do you want me to be the ball?" Well, everybody <laughs> knows that one, but I mean, does he do the intricate ones no. that nobody knows, or whatever? Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> right, you couldn't handle that at all. But um, yeah, it's like when you see stills that you haven't seen before, and there's been a couple come, and there's a couple in your book that are terrific. Mm-hmm. It's really great. Reason to buy the book alone. Yeah, the photos are awesome. Um, yeah, you just have photos where Chevy Chase is holding your hand. <laughs> And walking it down, and he's in his tie web outfit. Yeah. Oh my god, I can't even. It's like a dream come true. It's like I always used to say before they had DVD extras and stuff. I'm like, what do you think we'd ever get to see? You know, use uh, other footage from Annie Hall. Mm. You know, them on the set. And finally, I have seen footage with him and Grammy Hall laughing, and I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing to me. Stuff where where the movie becomes like real, like somebody actually did make this, and and there was a process to it because you know in my world in my head that movie just exists, right. and it's this thing and it's beautiful and it's a real thing and there was this Bushwood Country too, Club. You get to experience the magic of it. I'm yeah, gonna, and then but then want to be in the kitchen when the cook's making the sausage. No, <laughs> I do. It's important to me. And seeing the pictures with you in these things, let alone the cover of your book, you're sitting there with your dad in costume as, uh, what's his character's name? Egon in uh, Ghostbusters. And you're on these sets, these legendary movie sets. I mean, that is something else. That's that's (laughs) terrific. And then... uh, were you on the Groundhog Day set at all? or I just visited for, I think, about a week. Oh, yeah. Wait, you said you were in a, a specific, not the diner, but you said you were in a specific... In like an ice carving competition. Oh, you were at the, we were the ice carving thing. in the background, I think. Oh, you were we in? Got cut out. You actually got in? But I was just like, you were on the set of yeah. like... When, they didn't film that in the Pennsylvania place, right? They, no, it was in Woodstock, Illinois, actually. Oh, Woodstock, Illinois. Yes. I didn't know there was a Woodstock, Illinois. Which is Illinois. amazing. I mean, they've built like monuments to the movie. Oh, is that right? They have a beautiful mural downtown and little plaques like Ned Ryerson stepped <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've met that guy that uh, plays Ned Ryerson. Sometimes I look at it just to make sure we're recording because I'd be so upset. <laughs> um, you can see I even have that button that says press record. Um, I met Ned Ryerson, uh, the guy, um, uh, Stephen Tobowski, many times. What a delightful guy that yeah. guy is. He's so sweet, great actor. And it's just funny that I... He's told me many times people just call him Ned Ryerson. I mean, it, he, that guy's probably done a hundred movies and TV shows, and he just gets called Ned Ryerson all the time. He plays some dark characters. Dark characters. Did you ever yeah. see Heroes when he was on that? Or, uh, uh, yeah, and um, yeah, even in uh, Sneakers, he plays like the villain or something like that. Isn't that interesting? A yeah. guy looking like that plays very dark characters, and that's what makes him such a terrific actor. I like, I love that kind of stuff. I mm-hmm. love talking about acting. And actors, and I really enjoy when people can play different types like that. And that's why Bill Murray, who was definitely a hero of mine as well, of course, mm-hmm. um, that we've found over the years what a terrific actor he is, yeah. and then he can really go both ways and and play ridiculously funny and serious mm-hmm. and uh, do it in a way, you know. Um, I was going to talk about you with that with your dad and John Landis. Did they get along? Well, I don't think they really overlapped much. You don't think because I just well, I know he was mad at him for not casting him in the movie. I was just going to say the same thing because I know Eddie Murphy had trouble with John Landis as well, even though he had him direct well, he directed him in Trading Places, but then he bought him for Coming to America. But apparently, they used to butt heads quite a bit too. 
I was just thinking, I like to know whether this guy was just troublemaker. Obviously, he doesn't make movies anymore, so something must have happened. But um, I've never heard like a bad word about working with your dad, you know, from anybody. Obviously, you're not going to put it in your book. Well, you would have been honest. I mean, I yeah, he he wasn't perfect. I mean, I think yeah, but I mean, nobody. I'm sure there is somebody out there that that doesn't like him or that had a bad experience or. You know, caught him on an off day, but maybe Elizabeth Hurley feels that way. But I, I know I loved working with her. Who wouldn't? I mean, she was terrific. That's the only reason I watched that movie. I mean, I didn't even know your dad directed that one when I first saw it. I only watched it because she was in it and Mm -hmm. was maybe the hottest girl I've ever seen at the time. (laughs) And um, I enjoy watching her in those little costumes and stuff that she, you know, whenever she she was. was, Yeah, but um, yeah, the movie. uh, I don't think it's anybody's fault. It seemed like a good idea at the time. You know? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I think he really loved also working with Brendan Fraser and thought that yeah, he was you such said a that. dynamic. Isn't that interesting? interesting I've never actor. heard anybody say that about Brendan. He must be thrilled if he reads your book. <laughs> He's going to be so happy. Um, yeah, I mean, he loved the original Dudley Moore and Peter Cook film. Well, well, he clearly, wanted right. to make it for years. They're credited with writing it as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it was... Clearly. Yeah. Also, with, with Multiplicity, I wonder, he worked with Andy McDowell again. He mm-hmm. had no problems with Andy McDowell. I know Bill Murray did, and he's, been, he's talked about it before. And I know it was that donut scene, as well, the cake scene where he put it in and she forgot her lines. Oh, um, oh you don't know? No. Oh, yeah. He, he didn't, he's been known that he doesn't like working with her, but I think he, he's made it clear it's just that one scene. Remember, he eats that entire cake, and he's like, I don't even have to floss. Yeah. Um, apparently she forgot her line and he already put the cake in his mouth and he had to keep eating that. So I, I think that made him angry. But he your dad... He angry during that whole... <laughs> Why? I don't know. Why I do mean, you suppose he would be so angry about that, this wonderful movie that your dad said, yes, be in this masterpiece I'm making? He was just going through Going through a bad time? Going through, yeah. Well, that's what I heard happen to Michael Keaton in Multiplicity, that he was going through a bad time. Michael Keaton, again, also one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. I was thrilled to know that your dad was going to work with him because... I was like, where is he? What happened? But he had an alcohol problem. Really ruined his career. He's making a resurgence now, but I, I was mean, so upset. Resurgence. Birdman was... Oh, I hated that movie, but <laughs> but I loved the resurgence. I still wanted him to win, best, you know, and, and I loved him in Spider-Man and everything, so I'm very happy he's back. But he, he could have just... He, again, could have had that Tom Hanks thing. Yeah. I loved him so much. I also have a picture of me dressed as him <laughs> from those years. Mr. Mom was one of my favorite movies. Yeah, exactly. And... Um, <laughs> Let alone Night Shift, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, was really my, you know, just, I just loved him so much. So, but it wasn't, you, he had trouble working with him, your no, dad? No, I don't think so at all. I just think, you know. Because um, he was going through a bad time, though. He was making, was he making things difficult or? He wasn't. I mean, I, that was not sort of the narrative of that production. I just think <coughs> he was, I, I guess he had broken up with Courtney Cox. Oh, yes, that's what you that said. You said that. <coughs> Courtney thing. Cox. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just think he's maybe struggled himself, but I don't think it shows in the movie necessarily. I think he. Oh, that's the thing you hear about these people that were horrible on the set, and you can never mm-hmm. tell in the movies. They must be he very wasn't good horrible. actors. I think it was just a lot. Right? No, I didn't mean that. But you've heard stories no, of saying, people yeah. being horrible, and you can't and tell. Some people just are horrible. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, I heard. You know, I mean, it's a classic that Rodney Dangerfield was not difficult to work with, but. He was upset because he didn't understand the movie. He knew live audiences, right. so every time he's telling the joke and nobody's laughing, yeah. and I heard the crew was always giggling, how could you not? Because right. <laughs> he would be improvising stuff. Because I pretty much, I know that guy would go to other writers and be like, give me some jokes. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think it, he was used to stand-up where everything, yeah. every inflection, every word is scripted and practiced and refined. And so he was not comfortable with the improvisation. If you, There's a thing on YouTube. It's funny when you... The way he's depicted in movies after your mm-hmm. dad... Uh, and, and it's funny because your dad kind of made him the legend that he is. It's a fact. He was very funny on his own and a genius. But if not for Caddyshack and the way he's depicted in Caddyshack and the way your dad directed him, he wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about him right now. I mean, because the way your dad made his character, uh, that way he was able to do uh, Easy Money after that and Back to School, which your dad, I, don't, I think he is credited with writing. And yeah. I remember the interview vividly in 1986 because I was all just, anything your dad did, I was on board. That's why I'm, that Letterman clip in 83. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm watching that because your dad was on it and the guest. And I want to see what he has to say because I'm fascinated by him. So in 86, I remember them talking about back to school and he goes, well, I, I didn't write it. You know, they, I just said, why don't you make him rich? And they said, okay. You know, like I, I just, I remember that was his contribution and then he got full story credit for it. But that was an amazing contribution. And I think he worked with Rodney on, on his dialogue and yeah. sort of you know knew his voice and was able to write really well for and him. And Rodney had problems with everybody. So for him to appreciate your dad and want to work with him again and everything is a real... a big personality. <laughs> yeah. And again, I mean, you just take that, you know, if you, if you want to make a compilation of uh, your entrance into motion pictures... Rodney coming into the, the shop in Caddyshack mm-hmm. is one of the greatest of all time. <laughs> hey, hey, freak a bowl of soup with that hat. And there's uh, the, now they have, if you watch on TV, they actually have extra length oh, ones really? that were cut out of the movie, which they should have been. Your dad cut it perfectly or whatever, so it just flows. But um, yeah, wait, I had a point to it uh, that, uh, no, I don't remember. Damn it. <laughs> it was a point about Caddyshack and your dad and Rodney Dangerfield and stuff. No, I don't remember. I guess it doesn't matter. I think it has something to do with Andy Difficult McDowell. Difficult people. Yeah, well, it was just that's what I was saying about Andy McDowell that um, Bill Murray found her so difficult to work with. But actually, your dad must have liked her because he used her again. He didn't use a lot of people again. I mean, besides Bill Murray and stuff, he seemed to just make it a one and done a lot. He didn't seem to always use the same. He were, he. I mean, I think Brian Doyle Murray was. Oh, uh, a as lot a writer. Oh, movie. as a like yeah, but not like uh, as I was an talking actor. about leads though. Oh. Well, Brian Doyle Murray, he obviously had a, some sort of a, a clearly kinship with in, in writing. And, but besides Club Paradise, what else was Eugene Levy in that your dad did? He was also in um, Multiplicity. Oh, he was? Mm-hmm. I, 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 I didn't like the movie very much. It, it made me upset because then I, I got upset that the um, clones were not letting him back. It was bothering me. I don't, I, isn't that weird? In the actual story, they don't let him back. In the yeah, story, I heard they changed it. Yeah. yeah, But um, I don't know. By the way, what can I say? I mean, you are terrific. You're a delight. It's been great. Um, thank you so much for coming all this way. I know you live pretty far, even though we both live in Manhattan. <laughs> it's a very, it's much larger than people think. Upstate. Yeah, and it's hard to get around. No. Um, well, you were very nice. And I, I, it was just so funny. I have never met Violet before, and I am bad, as everybody knows who listens to podcast with names and faces. And I'm walking down my street and I just see her and I'm like, you know, that looks like that girl on the cover of that book. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, no, but why would she have tattoos? Um, I swear that's what I was thinking. I'm like, nah, I can't believe her because she's, she's a nice girl. Uh, yeah, hold on my right? That's <laughs> what you took away? No, I don't know. But I was definitely, it's her. But I'm like, but she's a half hour early. And then I'm like, and then I text her. I'm like, did you just go into the Dunkin' Donuts on the street? And she's like, yes. So, um, 
I don't know. It was just great. Thanks that, for the coffee. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. That's what I. I that's uh, that's what I um, usually do. But um, yeah, no. Thank you so much for uh, for being here today, and to promote your wonderful book, which I actually read the entire thing. Amazing. That's a big deal for me, <laughs> and it's called Ghostbusters Daughter by Violet Violet Ramis Steele. I don't like that you added on that last name there because, um, you know, that's why, I mean, I don't know what it is with you chicks, Patriarchy. right? <laughs> and you just, uh, I mean, Courtney Cox Arquette must feel like an idiot now when she sees the uh, Friends thing all the time. I always get upset about that because every woman that's ever done a sitcom that's changed her name during the run mm-hmm. has gotten a divorce. And then there it is for the rest of the lifetime to see that. You put your name on that thing and then they change it back. I don't know. It bothers me. Um, Kelly Kuko did it with the Big Bang Theory as well. She was married for a year, changed her name on the show, and then they. I don't know whether they get upset. I don't know how it is. Oh, I got to see that every time. I don't. You know. I don't know how they end. How much do you think they watch their own shows? Oh well, this is what I think about <laughs> when I'm alone. Binge watching. This is what I do. But you don't understand. I think about your dad on a daily basis, and Great I think about nuts. what would he think if I did this. And, uh, and, and, and those kind of things. If I change my name, will it bother me five years from now? I mean, this is what I do. Okay. I'm a strange dude. <laughs> but a, a dude who was uh, enamored with your, your daddy. And uh, he was a, a, a wonderful man and, and made so many people happy. Yes. And uh, clearly, thank God you loved him because... Uh, Otherwise, it would be a horrible interview. <laughs> then I couldn't just blow smoke up your ass and, again, saying that word. I'm sorry, but um, you know what I mean. And um, really, thank you. Thank you so much for coming thank and you. letting me gush. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing else I can say. I know you, I, I told you I wouldn't no, let you talk that much. Hitting, <laughs> uh, you know. But we open like that, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. And, and thank you for coming. And um, everybody, please buy the book. It's great. Like I said, the photos alone are worth buying, but the story is great and it flows. And you know, she goes through every movie, which is what I like because I like, um, I like the, you know, the the linear to it. You go through every movie, every chapter. There's different chapters, but every movie has its own chapter. Mm-hmm. Every short. single one, Breath, very bad. short, and it just goes through. <laughs> I want obviously more, but uh, that's fine. There's plenty of other books for that, right. and this is about you and the relationship with you and your dad and and. You have to tell the story about the work because otherwise you can't get into the how it affected him and you. Violet Raymond Steele, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. I go back to the radio voice. Other Night Fly with Dave Jessica. Good night, everybody. Bye.